0: Well, hey, good morning, LifePoint. So glad to have you here to worship with us today. Wow, you guys are like lively bunch. This is awesome. Who are you people? You are not the 1030 service people. Normally everyone's like super chill and super quiet, and you guys are like all chatty. I love it. That's awesome, awesome, awesome. Well, hey, welcome to LifePoint today. So glad to have you here to worship with us this morning. If you're new and visiting, first time, second time, third time, whether you're here in person or watching online, We would love to connect with you. Uh, Church is always uh, something about relationships, a relationship with God, a relationship with one another, and so we would love to connect with you. Just text that word WELCOME to the number on the screen, 406-219-0314, follow the prompts, and we'd love to get to know you just a little bit better. But hey, if you're not on a serve team, I want to encourage you to serve and and be involved in your church. Uh, On a serve team, there's all kinds of things that you benefit from serving and using your gifts and your passions. Uh, that God has given you within the body of Christ. You are discipled in a serve team. You get to know people. You build community in a serve team. And so I want to encourage you to take a step and uh, join a serve team. Go to lifepointmt.org slash serve, fill out a serve application, or you can go to our Connect Point wall, which is in the hallway, and uh, grab one of those sheets, fill it out, drop it in one of the offering boxes at the front and at the back, and uh, someone will be in contact with you. But it's a great way to be involved and to just be known in the church. And so I encourage you to do that. But hey, this morning, we are continuing our sermon series. If you're new to Life Point, a series called Mustard Seed Faith, the place where our spiritual habits in faith intersect, this place where we would say, man, we need a little bit of faith to believe in these habits daily, that we would implement them into our daily lives. And so we've been talking about some common, some not-so-common spiritual habits over the course of the past few weeks. We started off talking about community, right? Like, we need this. We need the chatter, the relationships, all of these things. We need fellowship on a consistent basis. So important. God designed you to be in community with each other. So we talked about relationships. We talked about uh, this idea of rest, right? That rest is actually a spiritual habit. That we would build some space into our lives, some margin so that God can speak to us, refresh us, and we would actually listen to Him, right? So we talked about rest. We talked about this idea of worship, right? Like worship isn't just what you did this morning singing a few songs. Worship is a daily lifestyle. It's a sacrifice, and it's something we're called to do on a consistent basis. We've talked about worship, and the last Sunday, we talked about this idea of meditation, right? A spiritual habit that most of us probably don't think about and consider uh, very often in our lives, the idea we need to ponder. We need to consider. We need to think about the scriptures, and not just kind of blow past things, but stop for a moment and to consider what is God trying to teach me. And so that is so important. We said last week, you are what you think, right? And that's, uh, of course, what the proverb tells us is a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Like, you're a product, I'm a product of our thinking. So we say well, we need to be thinking about what we think about, right? We need to consider our thoughts because God is greatly concerned about what you think, that inner person, right? And So those are some of the habits we've talked about so far. Uh, this morning, we're going to lean into another habit that I would say is not so common. It's a habit that we don't talk about a whole lot. Uh, We don't meet one another and kind of lead with this habit and and ask one another about this habit. But it's the habit of confession. And with that, most of you are like, I should have picked another Sunday to come to church and not this one, right? It's the Confession Sunday, right, topic, right? This idea of confessing our sins regularly to God, that we'd actually keep short accounts, that we would actually be uh, the type of Christian who would say, I will not allow sin to be entrenched in my life. I won't allow my life to be so sucked into the habits of my flesh, and so I'm going to build this habit of confession. And so this is so important. In fact, I would say this is probably the most important spiritual habit that we'll talk about in this series called mustard seed faith because the implications of this are so far reaching because we understand hopefully we understand this sin separates right like so foundational like, if you're new to church, you're new to Christianity this morning, let me just tell you that you and I are born with a sin nature. This is like Christianity 101. We have a sin nature. No one had to teach you how to do wrong. Like, when I was growing up, nobody ever sat me down and said, John, you're so perfect, you're so good, you're so righteous, let me show you how to do wrong. Didn't happen, right? I naturally knew how to do wrong, how to do e- evil. And, and that is what is within all of us, is a sin nature. And the reality and the truth is this, is that sin separates us from a holy God. Right? I think we understand that on, on, on a certain level, but, but God is holy, he is righteous, we are not. And listen, his holiness demands that we be holy as well. And that's a problem, right? That's a problem for us. Because we have this sin nature that we struggle with. So what do we do about it, right? What do we do about this? Well, listen, let me just uh, help you to understand a little bit this morning about God and his holiness. I want to share just a few verses. I'm going to try and do my best to kind of lay the foundation in this this doctrine that we call the doctrine of sin. We can't really do that in 30 minutes, but I'm going to do my best to hopefully inspire you, encourage you to say confession ought to be a daily habit. It ought to be something by faith that I wake up every morning and I say, man, God, I recognize that I'm a sinner. Uh, Even though I may know you, even though I may have a relationship with you, I understand that I still live in the flesh and my sin separates you. God, I wanna worship you. And I don't want anything to get in the way of that. And so I wanna share just some thoughts with you this morning, and and I'm gonna do my best to break this down, but I want you to first see this morning God's holiness in relation to sin. I want you to see that, that God is a holy God that demands holiness, demands righteousness, and there's a few places, there's lots of places we could go, but let me just share with you a few. And the first one is in Habakkuk chapter one and verse 13. Just notice it on the screen. We'll look at the very first phrase in this, uh, in this chapter. Verse 13, uh, Habakkuk says this of God. He says, you who are of pure eyes than to see evil and cannot look, look at wrong. We need to stop there for a moment. Because Habakkuk teaches us something about the character of God. Who is God? He's holy and he's righteous. And Habakkuk says this God can't actually look on wrong, but he can't look on sin. You remember Jesus hanging on the cross? Remember that, right? Jesus is hanging on the cross, and there's a moment where he cries out full, you know, full, full uh, lungs and, and, and just yells out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And everything goes dark in the middle of the day. Why does that happen? Because God, a holy, righteous God, is turning himself from Jesus because he became sin who knew no sin, that you and I might become the righteousness of God, Amen. Jesus took that sin for us. And this is who God is. He cannot look on sin. That is one example. Here's another example. Psalm chapter five and verse four says this, for you are not a God who delights in wickedness. God doesn't doesn't delight. He doesn't get joy out of evil and wickedness. And he says this evil may not even dwell with you. It can't even be in your presence. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 27, here's another example. But nothing unclean will ever enter it. The abode of God, God's eternal abode, his presence sin, nothing can enter that. Nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And that's all really bad news. All right, that's really bad news for humanity. Because we can do nothing on our own to get rid of our sin, we can do nothing, we can't come to church enough, you can't read your Bible enough, you can't know enough about God or about Jesus to deal with the sin that's in your heart and in your soul. You can't do anything about it. That's really, really bad news that's where confession comes in. And that's where the gospel of Jesus Christ comes into light, that Jesus actually paid that price for you. Amen? All right, this is the gospel. This is what we believe, right? That, that, that he stood in our place, he paid the full price for sin once and for all. And all we're left with as human beings is this, the choice to whether confess our belief in Jesus or not. And let me tell you this morning, if you're here, you're new to church, you're not a Christian, God is leaving you that choice today. Will you confess your belief in the person of Jesus and what he did for you already 2,000 years ago upon a cross? Or will you disbelieve? You have that choice and I have that choice. But I want you to know this morning that confession, even though you might've done that, And I'm going to assume that the majority of people here this morning, you have already confessed your faith, your belief in Jesus and what he has done for you. You're not trusting in your righteousness. You're not trusting in your religious duty, but you're trusting in the person and work of Jesus Christ. But know this, that confession, it didn't end at the moment of salvation. Right, that confession, that moment of confessing, I know I am a sinner separated from a holy God who demands holiness and demands righteousness. And the only way to appease his wrath is through the person and work of Jesus Christ. You might have done that. Confession, it doesn't end there. It doesn't end just at that moment. But confession is something that ought to be the habit of Christians, it ought to be the habit of every single one of us. And so that's what we're gonna talk about this morning, this idea of confession. And here's why this is so important. We still sin. Amen? Nobody wants to amen on that one. Do you amen on that one? We still sin. Amen, brother, preach it. Right, right? We still sin. We still have a sin nature, even though you've been set free. Here's some doctrine for you this morning. Even though you've been set free from the eternal damnation of sin and the consequences of sin, you have not been released from its power and its presence in your life. You live in the flesh. I live in the flesh. And so consequently, we all still sin. And let me remind us this morning, sin offends God, right? Sin, our sin still offends God. God is still righteous, same God. I love it, love that song. He's the same God, right? And, And sin still offends him. Sin still breaks fellowship with him. Sin is something that gets in the way of our continued fellowship and worship of our Lord. And so if that's true, what, what should we be in the habit of? Man, we ought to be in the habit of confession. We ought to build the habit of confession into our lives regularly. And so here's the bottom line this morning. One main idea we want to focus in on, and that is this, is that a lack of true confession, a lack of true confession regularly will paralyze you spiritually. If you're the type of person who lacks true, biblical, continued confession in your life, you will become a paralyzed Christian. And many of you know what it's like to be paralyzed spiritually. You're like, why can't I move forward? Why can't I get past this place? I mean, I started here, but man, I still find myself at number one, starting at the same point, and I can't move past this. I'm paralyzed because of unconfessed sin. I'm paralyzed because of this habit that is in my life. That's what sin does, right? Sin will stop you in your tracks spiritually. We don't like to talk about it. We like to kind of brush it aside and ignore it and act like we got it all together. Our lives look good on the outside. No one knows what's going on on the inside and where God's like, I do. And I care more about the inside of you than the outside of you that I'm concerned about your life, I'm concerned about your thoughts, I'm concerned about your unconfessed sin because sin will stop you in your tracks. It'll keep you from growing in Christ. It'll keep you from, from uh, uh, growing spiritually and walking with Christ. And listen, it'll keep you from worshiping Christ. Right? We talked about this just uh, a few weeks ago, this idea of worship, that we're to be worshipers, that your life is boiled down to the main goal of being a worshiper of God. That's That's it that your life and my life would bring glory and honor to God in everything that we do or to be living sacrifices. And so if that is true, whatever gets in the way of that worship ought to be something that you and I key in on and think about and consider and say, wait, time out. What's hindering my worship? Right, what's hindering my worship? God demands and deserves our worship constantly, right? And so we ought to think about this, confession. And so we're, we're gonna talk about this this morning, but, but I really believe, listen, so many Christians today uh, are paralyzed Christians. Uh, they're Christians who are paralyzed spiritually. They're Christians who cannot move past uh, something, some guilt, some, some sin, some relationship, some hardship, some pain in their life, and they're just there, they can't move past it. And God's like, deal with it. We gotta deal with this in order to move forward, right? And so this morning, listen, we're all gonna fall into one of these three categories. And I want you to think about what category do I fit in this morning? What category do I fit in this morning? You're either gonna be a person who doesn't believe you need to confess anything. You might be here this morning and you might say, I don't don't need anything. I don't need this confession thing. Right? I don't need to confess anything. I'm good. I, I got life figured out. I don't need to confess anything. You might fall into that category. You might fall into the category who, who recognizes, yeah, I got some stuff I need to confess. But I'm just not willing. Like, I refuse. In my pride, in my ego, in my arrogance, I refuse. Right? You might fit into that category. Or this morning, you might fit into the category that just says I'm willing regularly because I recognize I'm a sinner. And I recognize that I need to confess my sin regularly and willingly to God. And so let me just share with you real quick, before we dive into some thoughts about confession and how it should look into our lives, let me just share with you real quick, what does it look like when we don't confess? Right? What, what, is, what kind of picture does the Bible paint about unconfessed sin, about those moments where we fall into category one or two and we say, I'm unwilling, I ain't going there. Right? I'm not willing to repent. I'm not willing to confess. I'm not willing to deal with it. Well, the scriptures say a lot of things. Let me share with you just three uh, that deal with this issue. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13. It'll be on the screen. It says this, whoever conceals his transgression. What does that mean? Just covers it up. Like, I'm not, I'm not gonna deal with it. I'm gonna conceal it in my heart, my life. Nobody knows, right? I'm gonna conceal it. Whoever conceals his transgression or his sin will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy, you want to live a prosperous life, successful life? Don't conceal your sin. But Christians, we're really good at concealing our sin, aren't we? Look at me on the outside. I got everything figured out, right? When it's not true. And let me give you another example. Psalm 66:18. 18, the implications of refusing to deal with sin in our lives, right? Again, not a popular topic. And I know nobody wants to talk about sin, but it's so crucial and so impactful to our lives that we'd actually say it matters, the kind of person I am. It matters because it hinders the relationship that I can have with God, and the ability that I can uh, impact the lives of other people who are outside of the faith. And so Psalm 66, 18, the psalmist says this, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, guess what would have happened? The Lord would not have listened. Like if I just kept it there, this hidden secret pet sin nobody knows about, right? If I kept it there and cherished it in my heart, the psalmist says, it impacts my prayer life, right? It was kind of a Southern accent there. Didn't we offend anybody? My prayer life, right? Uh, The Lord would not have listened to me. And so the impact is huge. And then check this out in Psalm 32, and we're gonna come back to this this chapter because it's so rich and it's so just full of just what is true confession? Psalm 32, and we'll be in Psalm 51 if you're you're wondering, but we'll come back to this verse, but I just wanna mention this here. This is King David speaking. And if you know King David, King David is a person uh, uh, who sinned greatly. Uh, He committed a sin with this woman called Bathsheba, and he murdered her husband, right? Let that sink in for a moment. And in Psalm 32 in verses 3 through 4, David says this about this unconfessed sin in his life. He says, For when I kept silent, when I when I didn't confess, when I refused to repent of this sin, he says, he says, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long for day and night your hand was heavy upon me and my strength was dried up as the heat of summer. And then there's that word selah, that's that pause and ponder and consider the depth of what I just said. David says, when I refuse to confess and repent of my sin, it's like a physical effect. Like my bones like waxed bold, and just like, you could just feel it. And some of you know exactly what that's like, the burden and weight of this guilt that you haven't dealt with and it weighs heavy upon your life. And David's like, I was miserable. Like, if I were to be honest with you, I would say I was miserable. It didn't matter what I had, it didn't matter the money, the women, the fame, the relationships, it didn't matter. It was miserable because of unconfessed sin, right? And that's what unconfessed sin does, right? It brings us to this place where where it's so heavy upon us. And so this is something we need to take seriously, don't you think? Something we need to consider this morning. A lack of true confession will paralyze you spiritually, bottom line this morning. And so what do we do, right? What do we do about this? Well, we learn to build the habit of confession into our lives. We learn to build this habit. So let me give you some thoughts to consider to hopefully build it into your life that I would just maybe inspire or spark. We're not gonna exhaust this topic this morning, but my hope is to inspire you a little bit to think about your life, right? To think about your character, to think about the sin that so easily besets you, as Hebrews says, and that we would actually deal with it. And so here's the first thing that I wanna uh, just deal with this morning, and that is this very simple, very basic, very foundational, but so important, and that is this, that confession ought to be part of your daily prayer life. We're gonna talk about prayer in the coming weeks, right? That we would build a prayer life, that we would talk to God regularly, that God wants us to, to talk to him, that he wants a relationship with you, he wants to hear from you, and part of that, it ought to be this idea of confession. Where does this come from? It actually comes from Jesus. And this is what Jesus taught his disciples to do. Check it out in Luke chapter 11 in verses one through four. It says this, now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And if you just stop there for a moment and just like, it's like mind boggling, right? That Jesus prayed, right? Jesus is God, right? He is the third person of the Trinity. He He is the son of God. He is God and he's praying to God the father and he's teaching us and modeling for us that you need to be attached to him that you need to talk to him, that you need this relationship constantly with him. And so it says, when Jesus finished praying, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. And I think there's not a person in here who would be like, no, I got prayer figured out, (laughs) right? Like, I don't need any any teaching there, right? I think we can resonate with that. How do I pray? What do I say? What should I talk about to God? I mean, what does he want to hear from me? I mean, that's like such a common human thing for us to consider. God, we want to know how to pray. And the disciples they wanted to know how to pray And so Jesus answers them And he says this He says when you pray Say this Father Very familiar The Lord's prayer Right Father Hallowed be your name Your kingdom come And other gospel writers say this Your kingdom come Your will be done On earth as it in heaven Right Give us each day Our daily bread And forgive us our sins Underline that For we ourselves Forgive everyone Who is indebted to us And lead us not into temptation Really basic here Right, really basic. Jesus says, when you pray, say this. Now, let me just stop for a moment because Jesus is not saying when you pray and the only time you pray, these are the only words you speak. That's not what he's saying, right? He's teaching us what are the elements that ought to be present when I talk to a holy God? What are the things that I ought to say to him and so Jesus begins to teach the disciples, and he says, first of all, we ought to worship, we ought to praise, we ought to bring honor to God. That's what hallowed be your name is. That God, I recognize your holiness. I recognize your righteousness. I recognize who you are in relation to who I am, and I give you worship, and I give you praise. And so when we come to him, we ought to pray in that way. And, and, then, and then this, he says, your kingdom come, God. Right, your kingdom, not my kingdom. You know what would transform your life and my life in so many different ways is if we just believe this, God, every day I come before you and it's not about my kingdom and what I want, it's about your kingdom and what you want. Whew, man, that'll transform your life in major, major ways if you begin to live that out. But it's about your kingdom, not my kingdom, your will, not my will. And then Jesus says this, pray for your daily needs. right, just kind of breaking this down. Give us what we need for today. Right, how important. Not what we need for tomorrow. And God, not even what we want, but what we need. God, give that today. I'm not gonna worry about tomorrow, I'm gonna worry about now. And then he says in verse four, forgive us our sins. Isn't that interesting? That Jesus would say, when you pray, and when you come before a Holy Father, that we actually bring our confession to Him. There it is right there, confession, right? Confession. You see, Jesus taught from the beginning that confession ought to be part of our daily prayer life. It's, It's part of our daily life. Why? Because we sin daily, and some of us, we feel such the weight of our sin and the guilt of our sin. And listen, we have a holy, compassionate God who demands righteousness, but also knows our frailty. He knows that we live in the flesh. He knows that we will struggle with sin. God knows the mistakes you'll make tomorrow. He knows. But he desires that we would come before him and confess those things to him because he's righteous and he demands holiness right and, and and so we sin we sin regularly sometimes we sin unintentionally you ever sin unintentionally like oh my gosh i didn't even mean to think that say that do that sometimes we we sin in our minds right we talked about that that our thought life and we're a product of our thinking sometimes we just sin intentionally and we just go right to it and we're like why did i go there god knows and so god says god pray god forgive us Uh, This is David. David, so many times, I mean, he knew his sin, and we'll talk about this uh, a little bit uh, later, but in Psalm 139, that's why David would say, search me, O God, right? And try me, know my heart, God, and see if there's any grievous way, wicked way in me. I want to walk in in life everlasting. I want to walk in your righteousness, and God, you know my heart. Reveal it. David's like, reveal even the inner things that I'm not aware of, right? He understood confession, and so confession, listen, ought to be part of your daily prayer life, and this is what, excuse me, Jesus taught. It ought to be part of our daily prayer life. Here's the second thing this morning, and this is great, great news for all of us. What gets confessed gets forgiven, amen? What gets confessed actually gets forgiven. That's really, really good news that God forgives, right? That God forgives you despite you. God forgives you despite your flesh and your frailty and, and the fact that you, you and I go to these places often in life. God knows. But that doesn't mean we have license to sin, right? That doesn't open the door and say, man, you know, just because God forgives mean, means that you can do whatever you want. Did you know that there, there's, there were people, even during the early days, the early church, who believed that very thing? Read Jude chapter 1 and verse 4. Just write it down. Read it later. Those were people in the early church who took advantage of God's grace and were like, he'll forgive you. Do whatever you want. Live a life of sin. Indulge the flesh. I mean, there were religious people who believed in that idea. Doesn't no matter what you do. Do whatever you want. God will forgive you. Yeah, God will forgive you. But it doesn't mean there aren't consequences. Right? We live with the consequences of our decisions. God uh, forgives, and he allows us to live with the consequences of our sin. And there's not a person in here who doesn't know what that's like. Like, many of us, we know, we look back on our past and our life, and we'd be like, those mistakes? Yeah, I'm still paying for them today. I'm still living in the reality. I'm not guilty. There's no condemnation, but I recognize the consequences of that sin, right? There's always a consequence, but what gets confessed gets forgiven. Where does that come from? It comes from 1 John chapter uh, 1 and verses eight through 10. Notice it with me. We won't camp here a whole, lot, uh, a whole lot of time, a whole long time. I was trying to figure out how do I process that? How do I say that, right? Uh, verse eight says, if we say we have no sin, as if anyone could say that, Right? If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not even in us. And then verse 9, very familiar, right? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and everyone should say hallelujah, right? That's good news. It's good news for you, right? If we say, verse 10, we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. But John says this, none of us can say, hey, I got nothing to confess, I don't don't have any, this confession thing is for other people. It's not for me. John says, you're deceiving yourself in thinking that you don't have anything to confess. Maybe for a moment, that's true, right? If you're anything like me, like the older you get, the more uh, you realize how wretched and wicked you are and how dependent you are upon Jesus every single moment of your life right? But, but there might be moments where we're like, okay, our thoughts are pure. Our thoughts aren't, you know, uh, about anger or about, you know, jealousy or bitterness or whatever all these things that come into our minds. But man, we go right back there really quick, right? We go back to sin quickly. And God knows. He knows our thoughts. He knows our hearts, and he cares deeply. And so John says, you're deceiving yourself and thinking that you're without sin. But why do we do that? Because if Christians are good at anything, we're really good at this thing right here. Pretending. And and, and making other people think, oh, look at my life. I'm on stage here. I'm a pastor. I've been to Bible college. You must have your life figured out. Like, oh boy, look under the hood, bro. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like, you have no idea. Right? This is something we should all struggle. We all are, are, are people who live in the flesh. Why do we pretend we have it all together? Because it makes us feel better. Look at them. Look at their sin. I didn't do that. At least I'm not that bad, right? That's why we often have this kind of this smug, self-righteous spiritual attitude, and John says, ooh, you're deceiving yourself. You're deceiving yourself if you think you have no sin. That's kind of one side of the coin. Here's the other side of the coin. And I think this other side is a, is a side we often as Christians, fall into. It's a common trap, a common thing we believe, and it's the idea that, that we believe that, that God in my sin, it's too great for you to forgive. that God, I've gone too far, and, and my sin is too great for you. My, your grace isn't sufficient for my sin, and we kind of feel like uh, we're, our mistakes kind of disqualify us from serving, worshiping the Lord. But have, First John 1: nine. Right, comes into play if we confess. He forgives. And this is a passage we need to remind ourselves often of. You might want to write it down. You might want to put it on a sticky note and memorize that verse. And it's great. But I think there's another place that we can maybe relate to a little bit more. Uh, and, and it's very, very helpful. And it's very comforting. And it's both found in Psalm 32 and Psalm 51. These are Psalms of David, right? Psalms of David. David was the second king of Israel, of course. He was a great king. And he was a great man of God. I mean, he was super talented. He was a a great warrior. He was a great musician. He was a songwriter. He was a great friend. I mean, David was just like this epitome of what it's like to be a follower of God. In fact, God even called him a man after my own heart. Wow. David must be amazing, right? But even despite this amazing title, a man after my own heart, you know what David was also known as at one time in his life? An adulterous murderer. And you hear that and you're like that doesn't make sense. Right? It doesn't make sense. He sleeps with another man's wife, gets her pregnant, and he tries to cover up the whole thing by having her husband killed in battle. Ooh, not good, right? Kind of one of those like big sins we like label like, "Ooh, that's one of the big ones," right? That's one of the big ones. And for a period of time, David, you know what he did? He refused to confess. So, I'm unwilling. I'm unwilling to confess this sin. And when you get to Psalm 32 and Psalm 51, you find that David finally comes to that place in his life where he's like, I can't do this anymore. I can't live this lie. I can't live under the weight and guilt of this sin unconfessed to God. And so he writes Psalm 32, he writes Psalm 51 in relation to the, the, this very thing. And so notice it with me. We'll just read the first five verses because there's so much in here, but we'll just focus on a little bit of it. He says this in verse one, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. You want to live a blessed life? Oh boy, there it is forgiveness, right? Forgiven uh, whose sin is covered. Verse 2, blesses the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, here's what happened. My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as the heat of summer. But I acknowledged my sin, verse 5, to you God, and I did not cover my iniquity. And I said, I will confess my transgressions, my sin to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sins. So much in here so much in here. David said I was miserable, right? We talked about that. I was miserable when I, when I refused to confess, but there's something I want to just point out here briefly that I think is important to understand, and that is this, is that God doesn't leave us in our sin. He doesn't just leave us in this place and just like we refuse to repent, and God's like, forget you. I'm just like, go ahead, go ahead, live in your unconfused. He doesn't, he doesn't do that. He doesn't leave us in that place, but He pursues us. He doesn't allow you to stay in that place. And so David says, for day and night, I couldn't get away from him. Day and night, he says, your hand was heavy upon me. Why? Because God loves you enough to discipline you and bring you back He loves us enough to pursue us. That's Hebrews chapter 12 and verses five through six. It says this, just just listen. It says, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when you're reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. God disciplines his kids just like we discipline our kids. Uh, Your kids need to hear the word no. (laughs) What? (laughs) Right? Why do we... Teach them the word no, because they're a sinner. And they will live, if you let your kid live however you want, uh, they want to live, they'll eat candy and gummy drops like every day of the week, right? They'll, they'll do whatever they want. They'll hit their brother and sister. They'll, they'll take what they want uh, and, and, you know, take no prisoners kind of thing, right? That's what they'll do if you don't restrain them. And you do it because you love them. I'm not going to let you be this kind of person. I'm going to teach you what God requires of you. And guess what? God is no different than us. He cares enough about us to say I'm not gonna leave you uh, where you're at. And and so David says, your hand, God, your hand was heavy upon me and I want you to know this morning that was a blessing to David and it still is today. God's hand and his discipline even in your life is a good thing because when that happens you know you're his. You know you're his, right? But moving on and David in verse five just draws back to that original point what gets confessed gets forgiven. David says it right here. Plain as day, right? He says in in verse 5, I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my sin, my transgressions of the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. I confess, you forgave. Simple. God, I was willing to, in, in, in humility, come before you and confess what I did, and you forgave me, right? What sin was David confessing? Adultery and murder. Let me just stop for a moment, let that thought sink into your mind. The guy, who's a man after God's own heart, committed adultery and murder. And God forgave him. Listen, if God forgives David of that, God can forgive you of your sin too. And I think there's a lot of comfort in that. That we remind ourselves, because we're, we're so often, and Satan wants to remind you of your sin. He wants you to stay in that guilt in that shame. He wants you to be in that place where you say, God can't forgive me. And God, time and time again, is saying, look at who I am. I am a righteous God who in compassion will forgive you. But you gotta come before me and you gotta confess. And David learned that very thing. Now listen, were there consequences? Yeah, read the rest of David's life. Oh boy, there were such consequences. He paid dearly. Not only did the child that was conceived between him and Bathsheba die, but David's kingdom and David's family was torn apart because of that one decision. Did, Did David live out the consequences? You bet he did, but God forgave him. God forgave him. So confession ought to be part of our daily prayer life. Confession, whatever we confess gets forgiven. Let me just share one more brief thought about this habit of confession. Again, not exhausting it, but again, hopefully we're inspiring you a little bit to think about your life and to consider your sin and not allow sin to entrench your life and keep you from growing and keep you from worshiping him. And so I want you to notice next the true confession. What does it take? It takes personal responsibility, amen? There's not a lot of that in our world today. Personal responsibility for sin. Oh, my upbringing. Oh, my parents. Oh, you don't know my circumstances. Oh, you don't know how bad I have it. You don't know the trauma I've been to, uh, been in life. Personal responsibility. You cannot divorce confession from personal responsibility. I want you to notice a few things here in verse five. Uh, Again, not popular stuff, but this is the truth, Amen. This is the truth of scripture. Verse five says, I acknowledged my sin to you, God, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Did you catch all the personal pronouns? All right, my sin, my iniquity, my transgressions. Here's what David didn't do. He didn't blame God and he didn't blame anybody else for his own sin. Right, because that's real easy to do. In fact, you go all the way back to Genesis 3 in the garden, in the first sin, and what is Adam doing? God, this woman you gave me, right? God, it's your fault, and it's her fault. No, it's not. It's your fault, Adam. And David does not do what Adam did in the garden. Got, uh, David didn't go, God, you know me. You know my propensities. Why did you put me in this environment? Why did you, Bathsheba, why were you where you were? Like, it's your fault. You shouldn't have been there. He didn't, didn't do any of that. He says, my fault. And it's my sin. And, it, and he took responsibility for it. I acknowledge my sin. And that's such a difficult thing to do, right? So even at salvation, we were like, where we acknowledge, I am a sinner, And I'm separated from God. And the only way to bridge this gap between me and God for eternity is Jesus. And I'm gonna confess that. That's so hard to do. But it's so necessary and so needful, not just for salvation, but every single day of our lives that we recognize this is my sin. And I'm to blame. And let me just remind us this morning, Satan's not to blame for your sin. The devil made me do it. No, he didn't. Let me remind you and I of something. Satan can't make you do anything. He doesn't strong arm you, be like, "Do it, do it." Okay, I give up, Uncle. He didn't make you do it. You made you do it. I made me do it. The only thing Satan can do is tempt you and bring those environments, those those you into those environments and those places that give you an opportunity to sin. And so David here takes full responsibility for his own sin and he models for us what does true confession look like. Let me tell you this morning. Let me show you just one more passage and we'll get ready to close this morning. Psalm 51. You, you want to do a deep dive into the doctrine of sin, into confession. What does that look like? What does personal responsibility look like? What does God and His holiness look like in relation to me as a sinful human being? Read Psalm 51 and spend time there uh, because it's so rich and it's so wonderful but we'll just read the first four verses and then uh, and then just make a few thoughts about it and get ready to close but it says in verse one have mercy on me O God where does mercy dwell? it's from God it's the only place you can get mercy the only place you can get forgiveness according to your steadfast love according to your abundant mercy blot out my transgressions God is the only one who has a power to do that And David recognizes this. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me and against you. And you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you, God, may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. David's like, I'm not blaming you. Like, you're fully justified, God. But David uses the same, same words, Same personal pronouns he uses in Psalm 32, uses in Psalm 51, my sin, my guilt, my iniquity, my transgressions. But in verse three, he says this. He's like, I'm fully aware. I know my transgressions. And I want you to just pause and consider for just a moment, do you know yours? And most of us are like, oh, that's not hard, right? That's not hard. David says, I get that I'm a sinner. I know my propensities. Why is that important? It's important for this reason. The better you know you and your sin, the better you can safeguard your life, right? Some, some boundaries, some bumpers, some, some road, you know, things along the roads, so you know, go off the cliff and that you begin to like identify, I know my sin, I know my propensities, I know where I'll go, I'll go there. Unless I create some safeguards in my life. And so David identifies this. I, I get that I'm a sinner, but then he says this. He says, against you, God, and you only have I sinned. That's interesting, isn't it? Did he sin against Bathsheba? Oh, absolutely. Uh, Did did David sin against uh, her husband, Uriah, without a doubt? Did David sin against his own nation? I mean, think about this, a nation that he was to lead with integrity and righteousness? For sure, he sinned against all of them. And he would absolutely, certainly be responsible to make all of those wrongs right to the people he sinned against. But ultimately, David identifies for us, ultimately, who does our sin offend most? And who are we responsible to most? It is a holy God. And so David says this: it says, God, I acknowledge my sin and I understand that my sin offends you. And what matters most is me being clean in your sight. Is me being right with you at the end of the day. I can be right with my relationships and not right with God. Isn't that true? I can make my relationships right and appease people and, and ask for forgiveness and kind of band-aid the relationship kind of thing, but I can't fool God. He knows, right? And David knew and he understood that what mattered most was him being right with God, that God wasn't good with him just making the outside of his life look good, but that God was and still is concerned about our hearts. And so David, notice it with me, and we'll just kind of wrap these few verses up. Verse 10, he says, so God created me a clean heart. Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within inside of me. And then in verse 16 through 17, he says, for you, you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You, you will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. David says, God, I need a clean heart. And you're the only, only place. You're the only place and the only person I can go to to get a renewed spirit. Like, God, if you wanted sacrifice, you wanted religious duty, you wanted, like, me to just do something for the outside, like, I'd do that, but I know it doesn't work. And I know what I need most is confession. Let me tell you this morning, this is, this is where your relationship, our relationship with Jesus starts, and maybe the best news you can hear this morning is God's just waiting for you to realize that, that he's waiting for you to make that true confession where you say, God, I, I recognize that I have a sin nature that separates me from a holy God, and I confess today, not only my sin, but I confess that you died for my sin, paid the price for my sin, and I place my complete faith and trust in you. Greatest, greatest thing you could ever do in your life. But maybe you're here this morning, and you've already done that this morning. What is it in your life? What habits are you building? Listen, we need to build the habit of confession. We need to build this habit where we say to God, I'm not gonna let anything get in the way of my relationship with you. I love you too much. You forgave me of my sin. You've given me an eternal home in heaven. God, I love you so much. I wanna worship you, and I'm not gonna allow unconfessed sin to get in the way. What do you need to confess today? Nobody wants to hear that on a Sunday morning, right? What do you need to confess? Don't let unconfessed sin. Get in the way of your relationship with Jesus. And here's the most beautiful thing about this. You don't need me. You don't need a priest. You don't need a confessional booth or anyone else. You have Jesus who is the great mediator between us and God. He is the great high priest and he says, come to me directly. First John 1, 9, again, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You read in other places that Jesus takes our sin, t- poof, catapult it. I don't even see it anymore. It's gone. It's nothing between us. And that is what I'll do with your sin. Listen, a lack of true confession in your life will paralyze you spiritually. Bottom line this morning, are you a paralyzed Christian? Don't be. You don't have to be. You don't have to be. Uh, the, the beauty is this. Like, I mean, the beauty is not sin. We sin regularly, but the beauty is this. That despite our sin, God in His grace and His compassion Says, come back. Come back. You may not think that I'll forgive you again. But I will. Because that's who I am. That's what I do. But I want you to come with that broken, humble spirit who says, God, I, I recognize that my sin ultimately offends you and that I'm responsible to you. You know one day you're gonna stand accountable to God, even as a Christian to give an account for your life, what you did with the life that God gave you, the family, the resources, the relationships, all those things. God is gonna hold you accountable, me accountable, for the life that we live. May we not be Christians who say, God, I, (laughs) I just lived a paralyzed life. I just stayed in that one spot and I couldn't get past it. God in his mercy and grace just says, just confess it. Just confess it. Don't allow it to rule your life. I'm gonna invite our worship team back up. Would you stand as they are coming this morning as we get ready to close? The Habits Church. Some of you this morning, you might say, yeah, that's great. I just don't think it could be me. You know what? Again, the Bible, we come back to this whole series and what is this about? It's about mustard seed faith. It's not about great faith. It's not about, oh man, you need the greatest faith to be that kind of person and have a transformed life. No, Jesus is like, A little bit of faith, faith as small as a mustard seed, can move mountains, can do the things in your life that seem impossible to you. They're possible with God because you believe. And so, would you have faith to believe this morning? The building, the habit of confession in your personal life with your personal walk with Jesus Christ that it matters greatly that it can transform your life can transform your relationships can transform your marriage can transform everything that you do in life i hope so do you recognize that reality that god offers to us day in and day out so let me encourage you stop stop faking christianity god's not deceived by that he's he's not tricked by that we need to be real with one another and we need to be real with God. Let me share just one last thing. Ephesians four twenty six says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. You remember that? Don't let the sun go down on your anger. What if we applied that same principle to our sin? We say, I'm not gonna let the sun go down on any unconfessed sin in my life, but I'm gonna build the habit of confession. The God would be clean before you, I'd worship you, I'd see, God, you work in ways that I can't imagine. This is where it begins is with confession. God, this morning, God, we confess our sin is ever present before you. And God, we know that you hate sin and you hate wickedness. It's not of you. In fact, it's like oil and water. It doesn't mix with you. You're a righteous, holy God who demands holiness from us. God, we don't have that in us. But we do have your son, Jesus, if we know you. May we learn to walk in him. May we learn to keep those short accounts, that we we might be clean before you, that we might be used, that we might be blessed. (laughs) There's so many implications. Our our own emotional state is impacted by whether we're willing to confess sin to you. Our relationships, so many things are impacted by this one thing. Lord, may we learn to build this habit of confession and authenticity with you and with others. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Would you worship one last time with us?